All right, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on tonight's show. I have a very special guest. He's publishing a book next week. The title of the book is New Age Grifter, The True Story of Gabriel of Urantia and His Cosmic Family. And the author's name is Joseph L. Flatley. He's also published two other books. One is Sirhan or the Hallucinatory Vanguard, published 2018 in February. And Satan goes to mind, the Mind Control Convention, Manchurian Candidates, Recovered Memories, and the Dark Side of Conspiracy Culture, published in November 2018. But again, this book is about a character, character and it covers kind of the arc of his life all the way to the present. A guy by the name of, uh, who goes by the name of Gabriel, but whose original name was not Gabriel, but he can talk more about that. So, Joseph Flatley, are you there? Yes, I'm here, and thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thanks for agreeing to the interview. For people who may not have heard of your background, can you talk about what you wrote about in your earlier books and what led you to write this book, New Age Grifter? Yeah, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a journalist, uh, an author, and uh, based in Pittsburgh, which, you know, is great because I don't think I could do this if I lived in Manhattan or Los Angeles or something. But yeah, my work has always just kind of revolved around fringe culture obscure topics, whatever interests me, really. Um, and my current book, New Age Grifter, is really a four or five year long process of meeting ex-members of this uh, spiritual community in the desert in Arizona called the Global Community Communications Alliance, which is a mouthful. And, um, you know, I met some of these guys online and we started you know, I basically came to have a relationship with this like subculture of or, or small community of former members of this high control group. And after talking to them for a few years, we decided it was time to write a book. So in 2018, I actually recorded a podcast, like an eight piece investigative series about the group and about the leadership and just kind of what it's like to be in a cult basically and then uh this year it's coming out as a book gotcha and the eight the eight episode series was what so-called prophet from pittsburgh is that what you right. yep yeah it's still and, out there and you the cosmic i mean people who were involved with gabriel you they kind of reached out to you after you posted something on youtube right yeah yeah so i just had a you know for some reason i didn't see this as a story um i just somebody now this guy Gabriel Viorancha, his real name's Tony. He's from Pittsburgh and he's kind of a failed musician. And when that didn't work out, he started, he like changed his name to Gabriel, moved to Sedona. Next thing you know, he has like multiple partners and he's got a compound and they, they own a radio station in Tucson that just plays his music over and over. So a friend of mine got back from Arizona and was like, you got to hear this band and played me some of this cult leaders music. And it was, terrible and hilarious and i just like posted a little youtube video making fun of it i like took clips from his music videos and made like one of those old ktel record commercials and um i got contacted by an ex-member and he said you know you think this guy's crazy but you don't know the half of it so we started talking and we spoke for years and he hooked me up with people that used to be in the community and then in uh i think late 2018 december 2018 um, I finally got to talk to Gabriel's daughter. She had left the community, I think a year earlier, but had been like 
not ready to really talk, but she, at this point, she felt like she wanted to tell her story to the world. And we spoke, she trusted me. So I ended up going to Arizona and interviewing her and other ex-members and other places in the country, interviewing ex-members actually went to one of the community's uh, services. They have semi-public services they're public services but to get there you have to be like let into the compound and frisked and they charge you 50 bucks but um i did it and i got to see the whole thing firsthand right and And you uh, it was like four hours long right oh yeah it was ridiculous the first hour was like (laughs) the worst like most dubious like end of the world videos of like landslides and ufos and and you know like just the craziest of that stuff uh, and like ancient aliens type stuff. And um, all with the message that, you know, this is happening now. And if you leave the compound, you'll, you'll, you're not safe. Um, Which, you know, I think to the outside observer seemed really silly, but if you're in there and you don't have any other real media, um, the stuff's probably really scary. And then after an hour of that, it just became like a church service. They talked about the Arantia book, which is this like new age spiritual text and just droned on and on for like four or five hours. And, you know, it was a struggle to stay awake. But so he has this kind of Urantia book, but his, he's from Pittsburgh. His real name is Anthony J. Devlin, or that's his born name. But he came up through Christian ministry and kind of morphed into this Urantia character. Can you talk about, his early life before he transformed into Gabriel, Gabriel of Urantia. Sure. You know, he, he always seemed to be some kind of seeker. He always seemed to want to, you know, Lord power over people, basically. Like even when he was a young man, he had a, um, had a, like a bar band. He really always wanted to be a musician and like, you know, and he, he like put out like, I have a copy of like a fake press release that he put out saying, you know, you know, I just got back from, you know, being on tour and in Europe and stuff. So it's like, you know, he always had a little that con artist, I think, in my opinion. And um, as he grew up, he, he kind of went through all these different spiritual paths, trying to look for an angle. So he was like, he was raised Catholic. So he kind of went through the, uh catholic you know the uh, i can't remember the name of it now but there's like a movement within catholicism which is like evangelical where they like speak in tongues and all that stuff and um he was kind of in the ground floor of that and then he became more of a born-again christian and worked his way across the country working for different christian ministries starting his own ministry in tucson in like 78 it was called sunlight ministries and it was a kind of a street ministry, homeless ministry, but also, you know, gathering disciples and interested in really bizarre offshoots of Christianity that occurred in the 70s where people tried to, you know, lord power over their followers. And um, that didn't work out. So he discovered the Urantia book, which is, like I said, this new age text. Can you de- the- yeah. Can you describe for the listener what how important the Urantia book is because I was looking at your book on Amazon uh-huh. and it's the number one 
in the category of Urantia. So it, it has its own category within the new age. Right, maybe right. people haven't heard of that. Can you kind of talk, you do talk about the background of the book, but can you explain that to the listener, please? Oh, sure thing. It's a, um, it's a channeled text. They wouldn't call it channeled, but essentially this um, kind of philosopher, uh, psychiatrist, eugenicist named um, William Sadler, who lived in Chicago, um, starting in the 1920s, he had a study group. And the origin story is that he he met a man who spoke in his sleep. And when he was asleep, he like kind of answered truths about the universe. And um, so this William Sadler and his study group got together, asked this guy a bunch of questions about the nature of reality. And whatever he said, they wrote down. And I mean, it's it's actually pretty funny, you know, they're like going to him with all these questions, which really they're just giving the questions to William Sadler and William Sadler is coming back with the answers. So, you know, you tell me who you think is really writing this book. Oh, good point. Yeah. You know, and then like after a while, like the sleeping man was like apparently, quote unquote, like sick of talking in his sleep. So he just gave the answers to Sadler, like already typed up and ready to go. And um this group, this study group in Chicago went through years and years of reading the, these texts and kind of synthesizing them and editing them, editing them down. And it turned into a 2000 page tome called the book of Urantia, which purports to tell, you know, the reality of life and the universe and kind of goes through a lot of stuff that would be very unfamiliar to most people because you know about stuff taking place on other planets allegedly with you know different spirits and celestial entities and then um but the last the last half of the book is kind of like or the last part of the book is a retelling of christianity of jesus's life so in that way it's kind of like the book of mormon and yeah it has like the space opera element to it right kind of like the book of mormon or scientology that's what it reminded me of is yeah. there was another gods and other entities with names and these people, and there's kind of like people are being, you know, past lives and all kinds of crazy stuff for millions of years. Yeah. And it's very much in line with like a modern American space religion, really like Scientology or nation of Islam. And, um, but the one interesting characteristic about the book, which I think is unique and, pretty remarkable is that it's very non-hierarchical non-authoritarian there's no priests or popes in your you either read the book and you're you're your rancher reader or you don't and you're not um what gabriel has done is he's taken the you know the teachings of your just you know the space opera you mentioned the names and the cosmic deities and stuff and adapted to them to his own belief system that he's been working on for 30 years and his is very hierarchical. So it's really the opposite. It, you know, he's at the top. His elders in the community are underneath that. Everybody has a place. Everybody has a ranking. You know, people above you get to boss you around. So it's, he's taken this thing that's the antithesis of a high control group and created a high control group out of it. Yeah, it's interesting. So he changed that, changed his name. And he said that he was beamed into a space vessel. So he has, <laughs> you know, he has his own kind of prophetic 
stance and the world is coming to an end soon. But like you mentioned in the book, he doesn't mention it. He's smart enough not to mention it at exact time, but it's mm -hmm. on its way. It's right around the corner. So you got to really watch out. So he has a lot of similarities with other cult teachers. And you mentioned Rick Allen Ross and all these other things. So you can see him with, at least in my opinion, within some of these other control groups that are like the bite model of Steve Hassan or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And the question that always comes up and a question I heard a lot from followers because they former followers, because they kind of, you know, they, they were on the outside for a few years, but they really hadn't had a chance to talk to many people about their experience. And they always wonder what I think as far as like, how does Gabriel learn this stuff? Like, is he, you know, reading books by other groups or is he, you know, did he, you know, a lot of people, I don't, I don't, I don't think this is the case, but you know, there are a few people in the, the uh, negative network, which is the name of the former members that their little community that, you know, think that it must be like a CIA mind control experiment or something just because, you know, and it's a real valid question. How does somebody go from nothing to really just having a brilliant, like grasp on like controlling people and, in people's lives and i just think you know sometimes it's just a gift <laughs> well he's been working on it he's been in those groups probably from the very beginning when he was 2025 20, to mm -hmm. the present so he's seen all the elements just from firsthand experience and a lot of these guys they do they are kind of like i mean I, i'm not saying he's a con man but they they learn from their experience to see what's the best levers to pull and how to work on stuff and uh, yeah, he's and he, I mean, they've also accumulated significant amount of uh, financial assets, correct? Yes, they, um, you know, this whole, I mean, any alternative lifestyle community, you're going to have the question of how do you make money? Like, do you go out into the world and make money and risk having some lose control over your followers or do you keep them? locked up tight in the compound and then you know somebody's got to go out and work so they've started a number of businesses or cottage industries which is obviously common in cults also obviously common with any religious community you know you got monks that make bread that kind of thing right. um gabriel you know they tried a lot of different things um the ones that kind of stuck kind of the ones that kind of took over the years um, the main one is called Solistic Hospice, and they actually operate a hospice in uh, Tucson and Southern Arizona. So, you know, if your loved one's dying or on their deathbed, you can have a, a cult minister come in and take care of them. All, all covered by Medicaid, right? All, all covered by Medicaid. Exactly. Paid, essentially paid for by the taxpayer. And, um, you know, I've from talking to people in Sedona and Tucson, I've I've been told that they're kind of like, the hospice of last resort. Like if no one else will take your family member for whatever reason, you know, they're more than happy to. And, and they just, um, started a, uh, a hemp farm and just had, I think their first or second, uh, crop of hemp. So, you know, if you're, if you're growing hemp, you're almost minting your own money. It's, it's such a good, good, uh, cash crop. So, Gotcha. So yeah, they got money and and you no, know, maybe not Scientology money, but if you if you work for somebody for 30 years, 
and they never pay you, you know, right. that can accumulate pretty, pretty big numbers there. Right. And that's really kind of the thing is, is the hook for people is that you can live there free, but they also said they want you to, I mean, it's kind of a, a trick is make sure that your credit's ruined so you can never leave. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's funny. They have an ad on their radio station where they're like attracting, trying to attract followers. And it's like, you know, the guy comes in with his like baritone voice and he's talking about, first of all, they want you to work for free. So they literally in this ad have a list of jobs that they want people to do for the community for free, like film editors and uh, vegan chefs, and just all this stuff like that. And then, you know, and then they're like, please be free of all debt. And, you know, we won't take you unless you're free of all debt and you don't have any uh, child custody cases going on. So they're very specific with what they what they need. And they kind of uh, like other cult, other groups uh, keep people working very hard and underfed. So that's another kind of standard approach of, of uh, controlling groups. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've uh, I'm kind of at a loss because I. You know, the most recent person I've spoken to who's been there left like two or three years ago. So I'm not 100 percent sure what the state of the cult is circa 2021. But, yeah, you know, it's it's general. You know, it's the playbook working really hard. You know, um, I, they don't seem to be malnourished these days, but it used to be the case where they were, you know, they were significantly underfed and. Healthcare was really, you know, was almost non-existent for a lot of the members. You know, they've kind of like refined their thing a little bit. I think it's not so much the, the healthcare and the, um, you know, the food that suffers, or you know, or maybe they get enough sleep now. But the group still has such a, such a strong psychological hold on people. They um, underneath Gabriel, there's a series of elders one of whom is named uh oh, what is her name uh for some reason it's uh mariah it's uh her name's linda cunningham but it was changed by gabriel to mariah a made-up cosmic name and uh linda cunningham came from synanon she's a phd psychologist and she helps formulate a lot of these psychological games to keep people under his thumb right so synanon is Dieterich, right out of la so that's yep. another controlling group i actually did an interview with paul morantz mm. who synanon sent the um snake that bit him and poisoned his hand yeah. he actually shook his 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 hand that was injured on when i was talking to him because i went and saw him in la but uh i did a three-hour interview with him and he knew knows everything about Dieterich and synanon but you see that kind of cult hopping too well Group hopping is maybe another way to put it. This lady didn't she didn't she have some kind of connection to Jonestown too? So it was like Jonestown descending mm. on to Rancho. Well, that's not exactly. Uh, well, there, there's two people that were that I interviewed for the book. One, uh, Laura Johnston Cole, who was in Jonestown, and then went to Sinanon before finally realizing that um, she that you know. She was in cults and she had to get out of them and has really become a well-spoken anti-cult activist. Oh, I, I met her when I was researching Jonestown years ago. And of course, once you get in this world, you keep meeting people that know each other. So I was talking to her and realized that she knew this Linda Cunningham from Synanon. So I interviewed her for the book. 
where, you know, she gave me a lot of insight into who Linda Cunningham was. So it's like Linda then left Synanon, you know, Synanon collapsed. It was shut down by the IRS essentially. And she went into private practice in California and she still thought the world was going to end. And she was scared to death of that. So when she found Gabriel, she, you know, really thought she found her guru. So she's kind of the connection from, you know, a lot of Synanon, uh, therapy, therapeutic ideas, control ideas basically have been adopted by the GCCA through her. Right. So it's, you kind of see that similarity and they had, you talk about a dateline investigation that, uh, was very interesting because it seemed like uh, Gabriel thought it was going to be a great way to get some exposure, but it would, they were very critical. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. And it's kind of like one thing that I think might get kind of lost when I explain these things. Um, so I really hope people read the book and listen to the podcast um, is that like a lot of the crazy stuff that the cult leadership does doesn't come from a place of strict cynical manipulation. It comes from a place where they have been in this bubble for so long. They really think that Gabriel is the leader, you know, the greatest spiritual person in the world. And they really do think the world revolves around them. So although it seems absurd from the outside, it's actually quite understandable that Dateline would call him up and kind of fluff his ego a little bit and say, we want to come and interview you. And they wouldn't even, it wouldn't even concern, you know, could, wouldn't even occur to them that it was uh, BS. Right. So, of course you want to interview me. I'm the most important person in the world. Exactly. So that happened in 1998 and it was, it was really a disaster. It was like, you know, they had producers go in with hidden cameras and captured Gabriel uh, channeling space beings and, and threatening cult members and, you know, hitting on people and stuff. So yeah, that was really the first and only substantial media that they've gotten on a national level um, since then, which I just find kind of absurd because this guy's fascinating and, you know, people there really need an advocate, people that are stuck there. But then again, I'm finding out right now, there's a reason that everybody writes about Jonestown and, and, you know, those cults and Charles Manson, but don't write about Gabriel because uh, Gabriel will sue you. <laughs> Jim Jones right. isn't around to sue you. So. Right. So that's a different kind of environment. But he um, I mean, the group, I think you said there were 50 members at any given time. So it's not really a 100. huge hundred. And they're yeah, all 100. outside of Sedona or something. They're in they're in Tumacocri, which is um, 20 miles north of the, uh, the Mexican, Mexican border. border. And it's just. It's actually, it's in the Santa Cruz River Basin, so it's actually very fertile and very nice for, you know, the desert, even in the middle of the summer. Um, and, you know, they have agricultural concerns, so they're down there, you know, planting hemp and picking beans and raising goats. And right. And it, I found it very interesting that there was a connection to uh, this person, Michael Steinhardt. Can you tell the story of Michael Steinhardt and Shmuley Boteach and how they kind of intersected with this group. Yeah, this is really bizarre. Um, so basically Gabriel, when you're in the community, you don't talk to Gabriel, like instead of, you know, having a, uh, 
ever meeting with him, what would what he would do is when he was younger and he was in shape, he would like once a week get on his bike and ride around the compound and let everybody kind of gaze upon him from afar. But um, he got older and that kind of slowed down. But if you have money or if he likes you for some reason, you know, Gabriel will shine his light on you. So so this uh, Ben Damien Steinhardt, that's his uh, spiritual name. He's a member of the community now, but, you know couple decades ago he was just buying a house in sedona and he was out going for a walk and it turned out he was looking at the house next door to gabriel's so him and gabriel kind of struck up a conversation and gabriel i'm assuming found out that he was son of a billionaire and his eyes got real wide and next thing you know he's in the community and he's um he's uh you know eating dinner at gabriel's house all the time and you know, and, you know, and Gabriel uh, saw a cash cow there. And, but this is going on. And this Ben Damien's father is Michael Steinhardt. He's a, a wealthy Jewish philanthropist. He's part of that Jewish philanthropic circle, the uh, mega group. He uh, has the ear of Bill Clinton and, you know, people in power. And he's the inventor of the hedge fund, essentially. And um, he did not like the fact that his son was in a cult. So he went to great lengths to try to extricate himself. Um, he he started talking to ex-members of the community and flying them out to his office to talk to them about, you know, the son and how to get his son out. And they came up with plans. And one one they got the um, one of the plans, including the celebrity rabbi Shmuley Botich who um started hanging out at the the cult which you know Gabriel thought it was great because he would get a celebrity not realizing that this was kind of a setup and Shmuley and Michael and these ex-members really tried to inform people about the cult and then tried to get this guy's son out and it just didn't work out and as I understand it, I haven't documented this, so I'm just reporting what people are telling me. Um, essentially, uh, Michael realized he, he couldn't fight Gabriel. So some sort of business transaction was made where Gabriel got a loan or something. And now Michael has access to his son. So his son's still in the cult, but his son can visit. He can get out, you know, the family. Because his son, you know, Michael has has a uh, daughter-in-law and grandchildren in the community, so he has access to his kids. So, in a very cynical way, it looks like Michael Steinhardt made a deal with the devil, and it's like, well, screw everybody else; they can, you know, I can't stop the cult, so at least I can get what I want out of the cult, and the rest of you guys are just going to have to deal with it in Arizona. So, it's right. a very bizarre chapter. It's very strange, the whole situation, because Michael's dad, you write, Red Steinhardt was, uh, you know, friends with a lot of mobsters mm -hmm. and the mega group. He's in mega group with Wexter, Wexner, Bronfman, mm -hmm. Spielberg to Epstein. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a strange uh, trail all the way up to, you know, give your Gabriel Rancho. Yeah. And it was something that I couldn't, you know, definitively document to the extent that I could like go into Epstein, for instance, but it's was really worth noting to me because, you know, these are the strange ways that power works. We had Gabriel Viorancha 
who is a real stunning example of how power works, even though he's only working on working it on, you know, 100 to 120 people in the desert. And then you have kind of a mirror of his activities in Michael Steinhardt, who obviously has a much larger footprint. Right. And I mean, I, there was an interesting element or part of that chapter where you're talking about how uh, Bo Teach told Gabriel of Urantia the story and the whole story was a myth. Mm-hmm. But Gabriel tells it back to him like he was telling him the truth. So that, yeah. I think, was very revealing about Gabriel of Urantia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There are a few like times where Gabriel literally sets himself up for like you know, he's bragging about his uh, clairvoyance and, but then he gets, you know, all the facts wrong and is proven to be not clairvoyant. And um, again, that's a trap you walk into if you're full of yourself and don't, you know, he, apparently he really thinks he's clairvoyant. Apparently he really thinks he's a genius that knows what's going on in everybody's heart. Um, Even though that's been misproven so many times now. And he, I mean, there's a a significant amount of this new age ideas are that they're channeling things like the book was channeled, but he's channeling all of these beings. You talk about Paladin and things like that. So he has this uh, connection to these altar, kind of like Rampa. You talk about Rampa, Jay-Z Knight, Mm -hmm. like he has a connection to these beings. Can you talk about that in detail? Oh, yeah, sure. So his claim to fame is not that he just that he's like a super genius, but um, or that he's super spiritual, but that he has contact with celestial entities from the Urantia book. And he he invented a term for it. He calls it. What is it? It's a fusion material complement or something. It's basically he invented his own term so he doesn't have to use the word channel. And so he conveniently claims that everybody else on the everybody else on the planet who channels is like taken over by fallen beings, but he's the legit channel. Right. That's right. And um which is you know, but uh he um so his authority comes from talking to these figures and he they have what are called transmission ceremonies where the group gets together and then, you know, they play the some kind of like new age music and they light candles and turn the lights down low. And then he starts speaking in a funny voice and, you know, throughout this whole, throughout this whole uh, endeavor, I've been dying to hear what that's like. There's like, you know, there's a 32nd clip of him talking in character or channeling on the dateline thing. And he's got this high squeaky voice, kind of like Mickey mouse, but talking to people, in the community, you know, they have always said that a lot of times when he channels, he talks in a really deep voice and it, they made it sound like Darth Vader or something like it was just really frightening and really believable. So I thought, you know, this must be amazing. So after years and years, I was wrapping up this book and I finally found somebody with a copy of a cassette of him channeling, which the community, you know, deeply, 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 you know, very high security trying to keep this out of people's hands. So I finally got this tape in the mail and it was like, he sounded like Daffy duck. (laughs) I mean, it was just so bizarre. And it just really goes to show you how, when you're wrapped up in this community and you're living this stuff and breathing this stuff, it's you just come to not face reality in a certain way. And like I said about the bubble, Gabriel thinks this is real or he apparently does 
he's been, you know, people have been telling me that lately he's been slipping in and out of character. So he'll just randomly start um, channeling and he'll have like real anger issues um, relate. You know, he has anger issues. He's channeling. He's very abusive. So it just really sounds like he's a broken man who's kind of acting out his last. You know, I mean, he's definitely older. I think he was born in the 40s, right? So he's definitely in the 70s, I think. And he also, like, he swears sometimes in his, during his sessions. <laughs> and that's Pittsburgh or something. He says something ridiculous. Yeah, he's, so, Pittsburgh is such a big, important part of his life, which it's funny because it's kind of, I'm in Pittsburgh, and it's kind of a stereotype of people in Pittsburgh. They think the world revolves around Pittsburgh, you know? And it's like, you know, to this day, um, I've spoken to people who have never met him throughout his entire, you know, never personally spoke to him throughout their entire, you know, several years in this cult. But when Pittsburgh was in the Super Bowl, like they had a big party and everybody got to go to his house and meet him. I mean, it's a hilarious character. It's right. And it's, I mean, but he has very kind of florid, flowery things. Like it's the fifth epochal revelation that mm -hmm. he's involved in. Yeah. Um, he's, he's receiving a mandate. So, I mean, there's this real importance that he's clothed, clothed himself in, right? Yeah, everything's really like, you know, yeah, everything has that flowery language. Everything's like cosmic legalese. Like one of his books that I got, you open it up and instead of like a copyright, just a, you know, one sentence copyright thing, there's like a channeled two page document about the the intergalactic perspective on copyright. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, his daughter, Sanskrita, you talked to her and there was really a promise of immortality. So he had really, um, yeah, like there was pretty uh, aggressive or very pot, you know, incredible promises of uh, mm -hmm. his power. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, these things fail all the time, but obviously people in the community have died. Um, but people have left, but he just, you know, he says they failed, you know, they failed him. That's why, or the world doesn't end. God, God wants us to stick around a little longer. So it's, you know, there's ways when you're wrapped up in this kind of psychodrama, I think it's very easy to forgive any contradictions just because like you're, this is your life. And like to turn your back on your leader is to turn your back on your life in a lot of ways. Right. And I mean, I think he was like the center of everything. Can you explain? He had a very curious kind of sign with all the world's religions and then the center of the pyramid and the all seeing eye. Can you, can you explain that? Yeah. So he, um, I was visiting, you know, they had a, they had a compound. They were low, they were headquartered in Sedona, but they couldn't get like a huge compound together where they could all live. So they found that at this ranch in Tumacocri down by the border. So they still own this property in Sedona, which used to be a garden. And now they use it as a campground where people can come and, you know, spend however much money and stay for a few nights. And um, you go. So I visited that and you go there and there's a sign. It says like one family, one tribe or something at the top. I'm going by memories. And in the center, there's Gabriel's symbol that came to him on a mountaintop near Pittsburgh that, um, it's like a it's a pyramid with like little dots in it and <laughs> lines and stuff. It's supposed to symbolize like UFOs or something or the seven sisters. Of the, yeah, the Pleiades, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's his, you know, it's basically his symbol. And in the middle of it, 
that's a circle in the middle and radiating out from it. There are all these symbols of like, you know, the Christian religion and Muslim and, you know, all these different faiths. And it's like really just really clearly I'm at the center, you know, every, all faiths are part of me. I am part of all faiths. So he really does think he's, you know, the central figure in human spirituality even um you know every he talks to people all the time like um like members of uh native american tribes and stuff and he's always trying to bring them in and he's always freaking out when he realizes they don't want to join him he really thinks that the hopi for instance should be part of his you know should should fall under his um his spell you know and it's just really it's really obnoxious. It's it's just really insulting to like everybody who's not Gabriel, but he doesn't see that. Right. I mean, it's, it's, and for people who don't know, Urantia is the word for earth, but from this, uh, you know, it's channeled book. So mm-hmm. that's, he's the, you know, part of this. Um, do you have anything you'd like to add before we wrap this up? Anything I missed? Where's the best place to get the book? Right now it's Amazon. It comes out in, um, next tuesday the 24th so if you pre-order it now you should get it the right day on. of its release um and yeah you know i mean we pretty much covered it it's such a huge story that i wouldn't yeah. even know what else it's just you know i find it you know the story is the devil is in the details so to speak there's so much more that goes into operating a group like this and creating a belief system and controlling people than you know, we'd be able to touch upon in 40 minutes. So, um, no, you're right. And there's a lot more, all your interviews with former members are in the book mm-hmm. and their experiences. And, you know, there's more about, we didn't even get into the child abuse, which gets pretty mm-hmm. dark. Yeah. Um, but where's, uh, do you, are you on social media? Do you have Twitter or a, a, a yeah. website? Um, yeah. At Lenny flatly is my, uh, Twitter and lennyflatley.net is my website and you'll have links to all my books and all my podcasts and a ton of articles I've done. And I'm really, really trying to get people to sign up for my newsletter. Um, it's called failed state update. And it's a, it's a in-depth look at a lot of these kind of cult conspiracy parapolitical, uh, topics. So lennyflatley.substack.com. But if you go to my website, all the links are there. And I'm sure gotcha. the website will be in the show notes. And that's lenny.flatley.com, right? Is that what you said? Lennyflatley.net. Oh, one more dot net. Sorry, Lenny Flatley. I'll put that in the show notes. Right. And a really interesting book. I mean, really fascinating. It's just another cult. But uh, this Urantia concepts were uh, really something else. So, again, the title of the book is New Age Grifter, True Story of Gabriel of Urantia and His Cosmic Family by Joseph L. Flatley published next week, August 24th, 2021. So go get the book. Thanks a lot, Lenny. Thanks, man. I'm, I really enjoy the show and it's a thrill to, awesome. to talk to you. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you on. Take care. Take care. All right. Stay, stay there. I just... All right.